Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We'll continue. We left off fourth chapter in Nazar, page 24a on the top, second line, the Mishnah. Zok the Heligan Mishnah. A woman made a vow of Nazirus. She set aside her, her animal. When she concludes Nazirus, she has to bring and then her husband revoked her vow. So what do you do with the sacrifices? She no longer has to bring his sacrifices. The animals were his. He goes grazing the flock. In other words, it, it's, it's non-sacred. It's like any other regular animal. But if they would become sacred, then you would have to keep it separate and you have to wait until... Until it, it until it gets a defect, but here it wasn't effective. Why? Because it doesn't belong to her. If you can't consecrate something that doesn't belong to her. Was the 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 husband gave her the animals? We already discussed this earlier. The husband gave her the animals. Right. In order to, for the purpose, for the purpose of when she finishes, concludes her naziras. But if there's no such purpose, then it doesn't belong to her, and she has it doesn't. She has no right to consecrate it. She never owned it, right? So therefore, it didn't take any effects. It's like a, any other animal. Right. Does that mean that in general the husband has is responsible for all the sacrifices? Or we're talking about a case where the husband volunteered to pay for her sacrifices, to give her a sacrifice. That's a separate discussion. The mother will discuss. But if the animal was hers, it belonged to hers, and he has no control over over that money, how is it possible for a married woman to have personal property if someone gave it to her with that condition? I'm giving it to you on the condition that this belongs to you for this purpose and your husband has no no control, no say over it. No, but then he, oh, everything... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. If she brought, yeah, if she brought it to the marriage, Nixamilog, yeah. You mean she came with her on her when she married him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's from the, where is it, the West? She has her own ranch. She has her own ranch. Her own. But no, it's not true. Because anything, anything she brings to the marriage, even if it's in the look, belongs to the husband. The husband gets to enjoy it and benefit from it. But if someone gives her money and says specifically... She's not allowed to use it until... Right. Exactly. So it's, it has to be something that uh, someone gave it to specifically and telling her, telling her not to. Therefore, since when she consecrated the animal, she was in the zira, the husband doesn't, we already decided, the husband doesn't retroactively revoke her Naziris. It's only going forward. So at the time, she was in Nazira and she needed a sacrifice and she they consecrated and she had the right to consecrate the sacrifice so the sacrifice remains holy. She can't offer it but the, but the, but the animals remain holy. She 
So what do you do now with the animals? You, you can't offer it, so what do you do with it? They're holy. The sin offering is left to die. But the burnt offering and the peace offering, you can, you can volunteer. You can voluntarily bring a peace offering or burnt offering. And the shlamim, the peace offering, may be eaten for one day, like a nazar shlamim, not a regular shlamim. A regular peace offering, you get to eat for two days. The day you offer, that night, and the next day. But a, a, a nazar Another peace offering only you can only eat it that day and that night. So even though you're volunteering, but since originally when he consecrated, it was consecrated as, a, as another shlamim. So you're limited. You're, you're voluntarily bringing a peace offering. You're only allowed to eat it for that day and that night. You don't have to bring the bread. Usually another shlamim comes, unlike a regular shlamim, regular peace offering is accompanied by bread, special breads. You don't need to wait for the no? No. Since you're offering as a voluntary offering, therefore, you don't. It doesn't. It's not accompanied by the special breads. It's brought with a, with a ram, a peace offering, for for the nazir. Because the Torah says you put the breads on the hands of the nazir, and you wave it. But since he's not a Nazir, there's no Nazir here to wave the bread, so therefore you can't bring the bread. The Mishnah means is you do you could bring you do bring the bread, but you don't you don't lift it up. Anyway, simple reading is you don't need bread. Yeah. Mishnah continues. What if you set aside money to buy sacrifices? Either you took all the money that it would cost for all three sacrifices in one lump sum and you put it aside, or you put it aside separately for each sacrifice. So, what if it was unspecified funds? You just took, lumped all, this, all the money together. No, so he's saying this. The so he says, So you use the money for voluntary communal offerings. What are voluntary communal offerings? When does the community bring a voluntary sacrifice? He says the al- the altar is not allowed to be idle. A burnt offering. The, yeah, but the altar is not. A, but usually, it's individuals that bring a voluntary sacrifice. When do you have? Where do you have the scenario where the community brings a voluntary sacrifice? Usually, the altar is constantly busy. Can not allowed to be idle. So if there's a moment, the idle moment, the community is obligated to fill that moment, fill that void with a, with a, with a burnt offering. So you use that money for a communal voluntary sacrifice. How do we know this from? It's Allah We receive this from Sinai. It doesn't say anywhere in the title, but that's what we receive. What is what about Moiz Mufurashan? But if he speci- if she specified the funds, he says these coins are for the Yoyla. There wasn't a lump sum. These coins are for the burnt offering. These coins are for the sin offering. And this coin is for the peace offering. Yeah. Then what do you do? So the May so then 
The money to set aside for the sin offering, since he can't bring the sin offering, so you have to you throw it in, into the into the Dead Sea. Just like just like the the animal, what do you do with the animal? If he doesn't get into the animal, you have to let it die. So too, so too, the money has to be thrown into into the sea or destroyed. You know. Can melt it down then, right? Yeah, anything. my limit. You're not allowed to benefit from it, but you also don't commit me'ila if you if you use it. Yeah, but if it's a gold coin, you melt it right. down. Right. Generally, you're not allowed to benefit from animals, sacrificial animals, or from the money, the funds that were set aside for the animals. And if you use it for your own personal use, it's called me'ila. It's like a treachery. You're using sacred money for your own, for your own, yeah, for your own personal, personal usage. And the penalty is you have to pay, plus you have to add on top of it twenty-five percent, another, so which means another on top of it means another twenty percent. And then you have to bring a sacrifice. So he says, but that's only true. For animals or money that's destined to be used on the altar, but since in this case he can't use the money, if it was an animal, they have to let the animal. You have to let the animal die. And if it's money, you have to destroy the money. So therefore, there's no mi'ila. You don't have the penalty of mi'ila. Rabbinically, you're not allowed to benefit from it or the animal, but there's no mi'ila. And the same is with the animal. If she designated the animal and you leave it to die, also there's no mi'ila. The same, the same principle. There's no mi'ila because since the animal is slated for death, it's, not, it's never going to end up in the altar. So there's no mi'ila. But, you, but rabbinically you're not allowed to benefit. You're not allowed, rabbinically you're not allowed to benefit from it. But if you do, what do you do with the demei oila, the money that you set aside, she set aside for the burnt offering? Yavi oila, melamet. So with the money you bring a val, you bring a oila, and um, and then you are moilbem. Since you're using the money, the money will be used for the altar. So therefore, if you use the money for your own personal personal benefit, you do violate meila, and you get the penalty of meila. This case, it's a personal voluntary oila. It's not a communal oila itself, but but the moilbem. The money for the peace offering, you also bring a voluntary peace offering. You eat it for one day. You have the restrictions. You only have to eat it for one day, just like the peace offering of the ram, the peace offering for the Nazar. But you don't have to bring the breads. Because again, there's no Nazar to lift up to do the lifting for the breads. So you, don't, you don't bring the accompanying breads. The special breads that comes only with the Nazar peace offering, not a regular peace offering. Why doesn't he say that you get me'ila? Because shlamim is different than an oila. Shlamim, the only time you violate, you have the penalty of me'ila is after you sprinkle the blood. After you sprinkle the blood. So, what? Um, so then, no, but then if, if you use the parts that you know, if you use it for yourself, then you, then you violate. So therefore, it won't apply to the money. 
The money that you designate to Shlomim, it's before the sprinkling. <laughs> the only reason is Me'ilah, because eventually the money will be used for the Mizbeah. But that's only once it gets to the Mizbeah and once it's sprinkling. But anything before that, there's no Me'ilah. So you can't, if you use the money for your own personal usage, yeah, you, there's no Me'ilah. But now rabbinically it's prohibited. The moment it's consecrated, it's prohibited. It's prohibited. The question is, 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 is it biblically prohibited? A shlamim, once you consecrate it, is it biblically prohibited or just rabbinically prohibited? There's definitely no penalty of meila until the blood is sprinkled. And, but there's a prohibition from using it for your own personal usage. The question is, is it biblical or rabbinic? And same, same would apply to the money. You're not allowed to use it, but there's no penalty of meal. Okay. That's the mission. In the beginning of the mission, who is it? Who is it? Who holds that the husband is not obligated to provide her with sacrifices? In other words, if the husband is obligated, now the Gemara thinks that the, the distinction, the difference in the Mishnah, whether if the, if the animals are the husband, the husband's animal, and those are the wife, that since the husband has no obligation to provide his wife with a sacrifice, he just volunteered to pay for his sacrifices. Therefore, it belongs to him. And therefore, if she doesn't end up, if she revokes the vow and she doesn't end up needing the sacrifices, he never gave it to her. And she has no right to consecrate it. So, man, who is the opinion that holds that the husband is not obligated to provide her for sacrifices? She has no money. Everything she has belongs to him. So what do you mean? Who, who is going to pay for her sacrifices? But there's a town that holds, no, he's not obligated. It's opinion of the rabbis. Learn the bright, he's talking about Rabbi Hood because if if you're going to say it's Rabbi Hood, you're going to quote the Bryce in a minute. Rabbi Hood, I might taste if it's the bed since according to Rabbi Hood, you're obligated, he's obligated to pay for his sacrifices, so therefore she had a right to consecrate the animal. So, how could you say that the animal reverts back to just a regular animal, a non sacred animal? He's obligated to it. A wealthy person has to bring a wealthy person's sacrifice on behalf of his wife. Certain sacrifices, with the Torah says, certain sins. It depends if you're rich, if you're not rich. If you're rich, you have to bring an animal. He's obligated to give her, then it belongs to her. It's a shibud. She has a right to it. She has an ownership in it. So if she has a right to the animal, then, then, then she could consecrate it. If he's not Meshubit, she has no right. He's giving a gift. I'm only giving you a gift. We're going to use it. If you're not using it, I'm not giving you any gift. So, so, so those sins, if you're, if you're wealthy, if you can afford, then you have to bring an animal sacrifice. If you can't afford, you have to bring a bird sacrifice. And if you really can't afford, then you bring flour, a mincha. So what if she's poor and he's wealthy? They're married, the wife is poor and he's wealthy. So, so the wealthy person has to bring a wealthy person's sacrifice on behalf of his wife. He can't say, well, my wife has no money. She comes from the wrong side of the track, so I'll, I'll just bring some flour for her. She can bring some flour. Or now for sure she has no money because all her money is on the way 
so we follow him. And similarly, the husband has to supply his wife all the sacrifices that she's obligated to bring. If she if she sins, she has to bring a sin offering. He doesn't have to supply her with a voluntary sacrifice. Let's say she's very very generous. Every day she wants to bring a <laughs> right right the responsibility. She has chayavus. Only only sacrifices she's obligated to bring. This is what he wrote her in the Ksuva. My property is mortgaged for all claims which you have upon me, even those which you owed from before now. So he's, he's taking responsibility for all his wife's obligations, even, even obligations that she had before the marriage, which includes he has to supply all her obligatory sacrifices. Now, because what else could this could the ksuva be referring to? The husband is responsible for all her previous loans and all the previous debts. Doesn't we? Why? Right. The only thing this could mean is that he's responsible. If she sins, she has to bring a sacrifice. Says, "I'm going to cover you." That's the only thing he could be referring to. Because he's willing to take responsibility for his sacrificial obligation. He doesn't want it to live in sin. You know, she has a sin over her head until she brings an atonement. She wants it to be atoned. He wants to marry a pure woman, not a woman that has all these sins on her head. So he takes it upon himself to, to cleanse, cleanse her of all her... So that's, that's, a, that's, all, that's according to Rabbi Yehuda. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, the rabbis disagree with Rabbi Yehuda. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, our mission doesn't make sense. Since he's obligated to take care of all her sacrifices, so she owns it, she has an ownership in it. So then she has a right to, 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 to sanctify the animals, and it doesn't disappear once he revokes it. Why does the mission say that it goes back into the, into the flock? It's like a regular, there's no sanctity. Rav Amarav says, no. Really, I can explain our mission that follows the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. He's only obligated, he only obligates her something that she needs. He didn't obligate himself. He has no obligation, so she has no ownership in the animal. I guess even the obligation is something that he takes it upon himself. It's not like... It's not in the Kasuba, right? No, it is in the Kasuba. The others say... Manton, uh, who is the opinion of our mission? He says, even according to Rabbi Hud. Nevertheless, he agrees with the Mishnah. Why the, why the distinction? But he's, he's obligated to bring, so he has a right to consecrate it. No. He, he obligated himself of something that she must. She sinned, she has to bring the sacrifice. But if it's something that's not needed by her, he has no obligation. Who asked her to become a Nazira? In other words, he never, he never, he never obligated himself to, to, to be responsible for her sacrifices if she volunteered, took upon herself to become a Nazira. 
So our Mishnah could only go according to Rabbi Yehuda. Why? Because if according to the rabbis, he's not obligated at all. So how could she consecrate the animals for sacrifice? Saying, he's just saying exactly what we said earlier. Yes, the husband is obligated. He wrote in the Ksuvah, he obligates himself to take care of all the needs. She has a right to become a Nazira. Once she becomes a Nazira, she's, uh, she's obligated to bring these sacrifices and he committed to take care of her obligations, no problem. But he only committed if she's actually going to eventually bring it. If she's not going to bring it, then, then he never committed. But, but so it could only go according to Rabbi Yehuda, not according to the rabbis, according, according to this version. Why? Because according to the rabbis, since he never committed, he never committed to, he has no responsibility to offer his sacrifices. So how is it possible, according to the rabbis, he should be obligated to provide her with an animal? He can. There is no obligation. So the only way is, going he gave her a gift. I mean, they argue with Rabbi Huda that he, there's no obligation. He never took upon himself obligation for his sacrifices. Yeah, her sacrifice. So therefore, how is it possible for her to consecrate it in the first place? We're talking about a case that she consecrated it. And the only reason, the only problem is because then the husband revoked it. So now the issue is what happens to the animal? Are the animal sacred or not? But if she, the husband did not revoke it, then she has the power to to sanctify the animals. How is it possible? How does she have the power to, 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 to designate the animals as holy animals? He never, he never committed himself. He has no obligation. She doesn't own the animals. It's his animals. How could she take his animals and declare them to be sacred? So the only way is, that he gave her the right. He volunteered. He doesn't have to, but he chose to give her a gift. I'm giving you a gift. Take these animals. So if he gave her a gift, it belongs to her. She can do whatever she wants with it. If it's a gift, it's a gift. It's yours. Do whatever you want with the animal. So therefore, she gave away, she made the animal sacred. And at the time, she was not the Zida. So you can't say that the animals revert back to, to the regular status. What do you mean? He gave her a gift. It belongs to her. She has a right to, to, to sanctify it. I said before, I was like, oh, it's not, okay. No, uh, so that's the difference between the, that's the, difference between the, uh, the two versions. Rav holds, between Rav and Rav Chizda. Rav holds that even, of course it was Antanai. He gave her a gift on the condition that, that she's going to eventually bring the sacrifice. Rav Chizda says, no, a gift is a gift, it's yours. Do whatever you want with it. But only according to Rabbi Yehud it makes sense. I'm a Shubat, yes, I committed to take care of your sacrifices. We're, show me the sacrifice. Yes, at the time, you were going to make a sacrifice. You were obligated to make a sacrifice. And that's why your sanctity, when you started, the sanctity was sanctity. But then, after I revoked it, there's no longer any sacrifice. Even though when he revokes, it's only going forward, but the sanctity of the animal is retroactively. I never gave it to you. I'm, I'm only committed for a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice here, so there's no commitment. So it's not yours to sanctify. So, so even if you use the animal during that time, it, it's, there's no mi'ila penalty.
Rav Amar, but Rav disagrees with Rav Chizda. Rav says, we continue on side B, 24B, even according to the rabbis. Same thing, just like you say about Shibut. I'm only committed if you eventually bring a carbon. If you don't bring a carbon, then there's no Shibut. So the same thing, everyone called the mission according to Rav. And so I'm only giving to you as a gift. I'm not just giving you as a gift. I'm giving you. I'm giving you the, 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 as a gift. I'm giving to you as a gift to bring the sacrifices. Something that you need. If you don't need it, I'm not giving it to you. So therefore, she never had a right to. Turns out retroactively, she never had a right to sanctify these animals, and therefore you can just return them back to the to the herd. Josh points out something very interesting. He says. Wait a minute. You said that she she made she made a vow of nazirus, and then he gives her animals to bring the nazirus to, to when she concludes the term. She'll be able, so how could he revoke it later? Why isn't that an affirmation? <coughs> it's the ultimate affirmation. <laughs> He's affirming her vow. Not only am I affirming your vow, I'm pleased with your vow. I'm happy with your vow. I'm giving you the sacrifices that you need for this vow. So once you affirm it, how, how, could you, how could you then revoke it? So he says, no, we're not talking about that he specifically gave her. In general, he gave her a blank check. He said, listen, anytime you need sacrifices, according to the Rabbanon, that he's not, he never committed himself to bring sacrifices, but he says, anytime, I'm making you a gift. Anytime you need, you have a free allowance. So he wasn't specific about this in the Zidus. And that's why, based on that, she went ahead and sanctified the, 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 uh, the sacrifice, the animal. And then, and then he revokes it, and then we say that even retroactively, she never had the right. Turns out she never, he never had the right to sanct- sanctify the animals. Okay. It says in the Mishnah, If it belonged to her, and she had a right to, to sanctify the animals, so the sin offering, if they let the animal die, and the peace and the and the uh, peace offering, and the and the uh, burnt offering, you can offer as a voluntary sacrifice. Right. So, does she have property? Whatever the woman has, whatever she acquires, whatever she brings to the marriage, belongs to the husband. So how could, what do you mean she buys with her own property? Her own bank account? Amara Papa Papa says, She saved up by being frugal with her dough. She ate less than her allotment. He gave her a certain allotment and she saved up. She saved up. She had a penny jar. She, get, she had a penny jar. She's a good wife. She's dieting. She wants to be slim, so she's not eating anything. She saved for a rainy day. <laughs> she's taking all the money. She saved for a rainy day. Same, uh, another, another, another answer I'll give you. Someone else gave her the animal. When you give a gift and you say in condition that your husband has no rights in them, then then it's effective and then it belongs to her she can do whatever you want with that money or for that specific purpose that he gave it to her but not and then the husband has no rights over it <laughs> yeah the Rambam says he has to he has to be specific you can't just make a general general statement do whatever you want with the money it has to be I'm giving you the money for this purpose 
And then it belongs to her, the husband has no right, and then she has a right to sanctify the animal. <coughs> and then that ha'ayla. Then the Mishnah says, what about the, the uh, burnt offering? And the peace offering, she offers, that she can offer as a voluntary sacrifice. Right. Right. Son of don't sit down until you clarify for me this matter. Your mother doesn't say what he asked him, but we'll, we'll see what he answered him. We can figure out what he asked him. Who answered him? Four rams that you don't have to accompany it by bread when they sacrifice. Shaloi is hers. After death, after after a tomb. What do you mean? So you explain. That we said. This is the case of our mission. A woman designates her own animals and then her husband revokes the vow. So she brings, she brings the peace offering as a, as a, as a voluntary sacrifice. But she doesn't, doesn't bring the bread. What's the case Shaloi referring to? Man, we learn the mission. We're going to learn later on. A man has the power to declare his son a Nazar. A woman, the mother, can announce and proclaim her, her son as being a Nazar. Right. The father has the power to impose it on his son. The son who's a minor. And... But the father is obligated for the sacrifices. But uh, but he has the power. But uh, not the mother. This is what we learn. Allah Hamesha Messina. Hamesha receives from Hashem Messina. What if the son shaved his head, or his relative shaved his head? Or the son protested. His relatives protested. In other words, they're protesting the Nazis. If they protest, as soon as the father makes the declaration, then, then there is no Nazis. And you don't even have to say it. If you do an action, how much more so if you protest? You, 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 you go to the barber right away. As soon as the father makes you into the Nazi, you shave the boy's head. So you're protesting. You say, I'm not interested in being a Nazi. The father already consecrated the funds or consecrated the animals. He already consecrated the lump sum to pay for the sacrifices when the son's term will, will, will come to a conclusion. They go for the voluntary communal office. Designated specific funds for each sacrifice with a burnt offering, the peace offering, and the sin offering. The money for the sin offering you have to destroy. You throw it into the Dead Sea. And the money for the burnt for the burnt offering, you have to bring with it a voluntary burnt offering and a mailambet. If you use the money for personal use, you have the penalty of meila, because eventually it will be used for a sacrifice. 
the money that is designated for the peace offering, you should also bring a voluntary peace offering. For one day, you have the restriction of a another peace offering. You only allowed to eat it for that day and that night. But you don't need the bread. There's no another to pick up the bread. There's no bread here. The special breads that you bring exclusively for the for the for the nazir peace offering doesn't apply. Okay, so that's what he means. That this in this case too. This is a second case. Where it's brought without bread. You're bringing the, the peace offering that was designated yeah. for the Nazar, and yet you bring it without bread. What's the third case? After death. Where do we know this from? We learn this is actually a mission. We learn if a person is dead, you can't put the offering in his hand, right? Right. We learn the Mishnah If someone sets aside funds for Nazirus, not a lot to benefit rabbinically, but they also don't have the Mila penalty. Why? Since they're all suitable for bringing a shlam, a peace offer. In other words, when do you have me'ila right away off the bat if it's money that's designated for kachi kachim, for a, a burnt offering, a sin offering? So then, meal is immediately. If you use it for your own personal use, you have the penalty of meal. But if it's for a carbon shlamim, the meal only kicks in after the blood is sprinkled. Anything before that, there's no meal. So surely the money. It's only on the fats in the orbit, too. Yeah, and so surely after the blood is sprinkled. So surely the meal, the money, there's no meal. So he says, so since, therefore, since from this money you can bring the shlamim, includes the shlamim as well, therefore there's no penalty of meal. If he died and he had unspecified funds, like a lump sum, then Yiklundava used the funds for the communal voluntary sacrifice. <coughs> If he specified funds, the money designated for the for the sin offering has to be destroyed. You don't benefit, but you can commit mila also by misusing it. Because since it's not ending up as a sacrifice, you have to destroy it. So therefore, there's no mila rabbinically not to benefit. The money designated set aside for the burnt offering. Bring an oila, voluntary oila. But here you do. You do have the penalty of meal because eventually the money does end up in the sacrifice. The money for the shlami. You have to spend the money to buy a voluntary peace offering, individual voluntary peace offering. Here there's no meal because it's before the sprinkling of the blood. But but you, and you, you only get to eat it for that day and that night. Went to lechem. You don't need bread. So here's a third case. That's the third case. That after death, 
But after death, you bring the shlamim and you designated the money for the for the peace offering. You bring it, you offer a, a voluntary peace offering, but there's no bread. What was the third case? That was the question he asked him. How, give me how many scenarios, how many cases you have with a nazir peace offering that you won't bring bread. So the fourth case he says was acha kapara. Acha kapara. Sigmar says svari. Isvari. I, it's just logic, common sense. Now that there's no source for this. No, your mother said, no, your mother says, where's the source for that? Your mother says, Swari, it's common sense, it's logical. Just like you said, that after death, since he no longer needs an atonement, so what are you going to do with this money? So you bring the money, you bring a voluntary peace offering, but there's no bread. So if, let's say, he lost the sacrifice and he brought another sacrifice, and then they, what are you going to do with this money? There's no point, there's no need anymore for an atonement. You already achieved an atonement. So what are you going to do with the money? Same thing, you offer it as a voluntary peace offering. But there's no bread. So this is the format of a suleka, that's all you can think of, only these four cases. There's another case. The Braise says, all the other peace offerings from the Nazir that you slaughtered inappropriately, not according to the right way, meaning without the right intention, was he thought he brought a sin offering, he brought a, uh, he brought a peace offering, but he had in mind that, 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 it, that it's a burnt offering. Only so what do we do? Kshedim. They're all acceptable. They could be offered on the altar. But the, but the, the owner does not, does not fulfill his obligation. So you offer it. You eat it one day. But you don't have to bring the special breads that you bring with the Nazar peace offering because it, because it, it doesn't help him. He needs, he needs to bring another one because it's not an atonement. And he also doesn't require the, the foreleg that you have to that you uh, take from the peace offering of the Nazar. Because again, he has to bring another one. There's only four scenarios. Here's another scenario. And, and you might have answered, Mitzvah and Kachashir, Shalim was like Kachashir. Avua was listing those who were offered according, according to the, according, it was offered properly. Shalim was like Kachashir, someone who, who went against the halacha, wasn't done properly, he had a wrong thought, or he brought the wrong year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, he's not counting that. Here, to be continued, I don't know what the So if he died and he never specified, then the whole